0: Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. Today's guest is Dr. Janine Janot, and she's an academic coach and the author of The Disintegrating Student, Struggling, Smart, Falling Apart, and How to Turn It Around. This episode is part of the March Madness series for moms, because watching your kid fall apart in school can really drive you mad. No matter the age of your kid, this episode is for you. Thank you, Chrissy. so great to be here. So I um, found you Googling books about students and how to help them in school, especially teen students. So let's just do a little background here of who you are and why you wrote a book. (laughs) Well, I'm not an author. I
1: mean, I guess technically I am, but that's (laughs) not my vocation. So I wrote a book out of necessity and out of a passion I have for our students who are struggling today, including my own children. So I'm a mom of three kids um, right now, 18, freshmen in college, uh, 23 and 25. So I'm hitting that young adult space. Uh, But years ago when my youngest was in elementary school and my middle kid was in middle school and my oldest was in high school, I started teaching college. After just coming off teaching preschool, by the way, so
0: wow, (laughs) what a big switch! I
1: I know, and but what it gave me, and my background is um, a master's in school psychology and a PhD in child and developmental psychology. So I've always been super interested in both education and development. And here I am with this bird's eye view of how education is impacting our kids from basically preschool all the way through college. That kind of end product. And I was just blown away by uh, what I was seeing in my college students, the amount of overwhelm, anxiety, um, lack of really fundamental skills, and, you know, stress, just all the things. And I was seeing it in every level of my kids and their friends in school from elementary, middle, and high school as well, you know, just the anxiety ticking down, the rigor ticking down. And because of all that, I was starting to help my uh, my college students and then I decided to just start a coaching business where I coach students and parents called The Balanced Student and it was in working with those students kind of one-on-one that I started to see a pattern of what was going on and that's what led me to write The Disintegrating Student, um, my book. So it's kind of a weird way that I got here but it's all been driven by my really intense desire to do something to help our kids who are struggling so much.
0: It sounds like you're really passionate about making kids succeed because you don't go into preschool (laughs) as a preschool teacher with all the hands-on needs if you're not interested in seeing a child grow. Right.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, So let's pause for a second. What was your favorite part of teaching preschoolers? They're
1: just so fascinating. I was doing I had a three-year-old class, and the reason I was doing it was um my youngest at the time when we moved to Georgia was in preschool. And after about a year, they were like, You have a PhD in child development, you want to teach a class? And I was like, sure, <laughs> why not? But it was just fascinating to me. You know, I just I love the socialization piece and I love their personalities and, and I love play as that opportunity to, you know, I know what play is doing for their brains, So I'm just fascinated by that. So I I had a
0: blast um, teaching preschool. That's awesome. And so you switched from preschool all the way to college. And what did you enjoy most about college age kids?
1: Well, I had to stop reading Dora the Explorer. um, (laughs) So... (laughs) I warned my students, like, I, I could just break into, you know, Blue's Clues at any minute. Um, but what I loved about college students is, um, you know, again, it's it's kind of that brain-based kind of development piece that I'm so fascinated by because at this point um, they are testing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're testing their limits. They're, they're really interested in learning more. There's a lot of, you um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of interpersonal development that's going on at that point, a lot of figuring out who they are as people, what they're passionate in. One of my favorite things to happen with college students was, you know, like maybe halfway through a semester, a student saying, you know, I had no idea what I want my major to be, but I'm going to go into psychology or I'm going to add psychology as a minor. And I'd always be like, oh, not that I want everybody to be in psychology, but the fact that they found it so interesting, was just incredibly rewarding to me.
0: That's, yeah, totally. You should feel proud that you helped open the door to them to that.
1: It was a good feeling.
0: <laughs> so in between <laughs> preschool to college, there's a lot that happens. And your book, The Disintegrating Student, really focuses on, I'd say, the middle school, early high school years. Is that Right. Uh, yeah. So I'd say that that tween teen period
1: into young adulthood. So, so that's really where I, I see the disintegration starting. So I've, I have a lot of parents who, you know, feel like they shouldn't read it if they don't have a middle school or a high school or, or a college student. But what I've heard from all those parents is, oh my gosh, I wish I would have read it sooner. So I could have seen what was coming, what, you know, just from the academic achievement culture that our kids are educated in to kind of know where the pitfalls are so that we can get ahead of it instead of you know kind of just getting slammed by it
0: yeah the the middle school and high school totally ramp up really fast from elementary really school fast. so is that what helps what makes a student disintegrate what is a disintegrating student to you before we lose anybody Yeah.
1: So the disintegrating student is just a a term I coined to describe a type of student who is really capable and has always done very well and then starts to fall apart. So a lot of times these kids are even identified gifted, um, but typically very high achieving in elementary school. They love school. They get their homework done at school on the bus, um, don't study for tests, get good grades. And then at some point, and there's this rigor tipping point for students and it can come at any point, but a lot of times it's late middle school, like eighth grade is pretty common. Sometimes it's sometime in high school and you can even have it happen in college, but it's the point where there's so much rigor, responsibility, all the things start to kind of crash down on a student. And because they've been really bright and really capable, yeah, they don't have the skills in place to handle and meet this this challenge. And a lot of times just the way they think about how smart they are, <laughs> it gets in their way and that further causes them to do things like not ask for help and to self-sabotage. And so things just get bad fast. And that's that's the part, you know, a lot of people with young kids might say, well, my kid's doing great. You know, they love school. It's going to be which is awesome. Yep. <laughs> All disintegrating students at some point were that kid. So that's kind of why I'm, I'm really more interested in a lot of people who don't have kids who are disintegrating, actually being aware of what may happen down the road.
0: Yes. One of my favorite parts of reading this book was realizing what habits of mine might lead to a kid thinking that they have this fixed mindset and that it's not okay to ask for help and Mm -hmm. or swooping in too early and not letting them pause and figure things out. Um, it It was really refreshing to know that that was something that you also struggled with, which is part of why you wrote this book.
1: I struggled with it. I still struggle with it. I mean, we are parents and the idea that you get any quote unquote parenting book or talk, listen to any parenting expert <laughs> and you, you've you got it figured out and it's all going to be smooth sailing, uh-uh. it does not work that way. This is hard. And, you know, even for somebody like me who lives and breathes this, I make mistakes all the time and have, you know, like, oh, I wish I would have done that differently. But I do have a better understanding of, you know, how to react to that as far as like kind of owning um, you know, kind of respectfully dealing with my kids in a way where it's like, hey, you know, I wish I had not said it that way, or I'm sorry I've done X here, I you know, maybe I've helped too much when they didn't want me to, or whatever it is, being able to have that interaction with them that. Basically shows them I value our relationship more than I'm valuing, you know, what they're doing academically, which is a hard thing to do as our kids get older.
0: And I think right now, living in this two year pandemic and Mm. parents are feeling the pressure, we can pick up any sort of newspaper right now. And there's a story about how every kid is behind, right? Um, And we're in a very academically driven culture. Um, What does... (laughs) what does the academic does the academic culture lead this to happen are we so focused on academics as a country that we forgot that relationship matters yes
1: um (laughs) i mean that's the short answer yes so it is this achievement culture that has been um developing over the past at least 30 years maybe we'll push in 40 years at this point but it's it's and then what I mean by achievement culture because it sounds great like well we want our kids to achieve us a whole right purpose of school, we want our kids to do
0: better than us we want our kids to get great grades and successful. go to those great schools why why wouldn't we want that
1: exactly the problem is over the years we have redefined in this achievement culture what is what is considered success for our kids and right now it's data so our kids are feel like their data points because their whole job and how they approach school is to check the box. I need to get the A. I need to get the assignment in. I need to get the GPA of this. I need to take this many AP classes. I need this SAT, ACT score. I need to apply to eight, you know, whatever their numbers are. Yep. That's, that's the motivation behind them being a student. And what that has translated into is uh, students who are just very apathetic about learning because they don't see the value in it, because it's all about checking the box, getting the data point. Um, things like cheating have become very normalized and pervasive in the achievement culture because it's a means to an end. Again, these students are very smart and practical. It's like, well, I don't really have time to do all this for six AP classes, right. but I can I can actually get the answers from this from this person. I can go on the internet and get the answers for this they're being very practical and they're also cheating to help each other because they know how stressed out, you know, their friend is and they're going to get in trouble if they don't get something done. So it's a very interesting place. We are right now. And the problem is because it's a culture, it's influencing how we're behaving as parents. It's influencing how our kids are showing up as students. It's influencing how teachers are teaching and all in an almost like an invisible hand because we're in the we're immersed in the culture so we don't always realize that our behavior is being directed by it Mm -hmm. so you know that kind of well-intentioned parenting of you know checking on our kids grades and looking in the portal and asking if they've done this and you know are you on top of that all of that stuff that is the fear that is coming to us from the achievement culture saying your kid needs this or something bad's going to happen and then we offload our fear onto our kids, which just further shuts them down and takes their sure motivation <laughs> out. And again, what kids tell me is my parents care more about my grades than they do me. I hear that all the time. It's not true. I've never met a parent who really did care more right. about the grades than they did their kid. But the reason our kids are saying that so much is because just think percentage wise, the amount of times you know, when we talk to them, that mm-hmm. we're bringing up school stuff.
0: It's really like, high. Have
1: you done it? Yeah. So their brains are just brains are like little stat machines. So it goes, okay, percentage of time talking about school <laughs> is a lot. That must be what's important to them.
0: I mean, there's only so many hours, right? The If your kids are at school for seven and a half hours, eight with transportation, right? You don't have that many hours left. And you feel right. like you have to make sure that those things are done because you don't want your kid left behind.
1: But what ends up happening is we're prioritizing academics over our relationship with our kids. And I know a lot of parents feel this. And I felt this, too.
0: Yep. And it,
1: it's a terrible feeling because you're fighting your... There's this internal battle mm-hmm. going on. At least this is how I feel. Of, I'm really, really worried about this thing. But at the same time, I know it's not helpful to you if I say something about this thing. I mean, my yep. college... My daughter, who's in college, was home yesterday for the first time in a little while. And I just couldn't help myself a few times. So I was like, and she just gives me a look. and it's like, I know <laughs> I know better. Sorry.
0: <laughs> it's good to hear that you still struggle with it because here I am with an almost she'll turn fourteen in about fourteen days. And in that kid, I know that I often step in it saying the wrong things to that particular kid. And I'm like, but, but you seem to need a little bit more or organizational coaching than than your older sister. So how do you take a step back? How do you switch from being nervous to working together to build skills?
1: There's there's a lot of pieces to that. So one piece of it is, first of all, we have to be honest with ourselves as parents and say, you know, call it what it is. We're scared. Yep. We're worried. <laughs> it's fear-based, okay? So we have to kind of acknowledge that it's really helpful to be vulnerable with our kids and make that explicit too. Again, we we wanna get rid of that idea that we care more about their grades than them. So by saying, look, here's here's the reality of school right now. And we need to talk about what is success for you because it may not be eight APs and having a almost 4.0 GPA. So what are we going to be happy with so that we can both be on the same page? So I think that communication piece is huge. And we do the hard lifting there, the heavy lifting, because our kids aren't going to come to us and go, you know, we really should have a heart to heart
0: conversation. Oh, no, it totally (laughs) needs to be a parent started, have some nice hot chocolate, something calm, set the set the the mood. (laughs)
1: And the buy in will be pretty quick from our kids, if we're coming at it from the look, my bad, <laughs> I've been mm-hmm. stressed out about this. And I know that it doesn't help when I do this. And when we start the conversation that way, they're all ears are kind of like, okay, I'm going to listen to what you have to say here. But then it becomes a conversation about what success in our family and for you. And um, how can I step back? I want to help you, but I don't want to help you when you don't need it and don't want it. I want to give you more control because that's one of the issues with our kids and their motivation being so low is they don't have a lot of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that we feel that as adults right now, the you know the high levels of uncertainty and lack of control just around the pandemic and Absolutely. our jobs and raising kids, all the things and they're feeling it too. It's about saying, you know, here's here are the things I worry about how, how can you be in control of these things? And, you know, it's not like I'm just stepping back and you're in charge of everything, but you start slow. It's like, okay, so I've been checking your grade portal at school every day, three times a day. (laughs) day. I mean, you know, I've I've heard all kinds of
0: things. Uh, I've heard lots of things from my friend's group, right? There's, there's a large variety of how different parents cope with the stress.
1: Exactly. And so, be honest about where you are with that and then talk to your kid about, okay, so what if I looked at it once a week or what if we looked at it together on Sunday? And you explain to me what, cause kids get frustrated because their parents make a lot of assumptions about the stuff they see. Their parents see it before they do. There's a lot of problems surrounding being on our por- kids portals too much.
0: I'm um, so glad my mom didn't have access to that. Oh, me too. <laughs> I think I can't
1: imagine. Uh, but, but those, that's a kind of, um, that's a good start to see and, and give your kid responsibility and expect they will make mistakes and expect they will mess up and expect they will fail and tell them that's okay. That's a huge part of this is like, okay, part of that mindset that creates the disintegrated student is there's no room for failure or mistakes. Right. I have to be 100%, 100% of the time on 100% of the things, perfection. And we're raising a bunch of perfectionistic kids, which is bad for mental health. Um, yep. And we're you know, bad for motivation. So normalizing mistakes in your house uh, is huge. Yep. So I mean, I think those are, those are some good suggestions for parents to kind of just get
0: started Um, in that vein. I think it's really important to just pause and say that, that if you're afraid of failing, you're just going to become a failure. There's no way out of that situation.
1: Yeah, it's really tough. And one of the things I've realized over my years of coaching students is because I see a lot of perfectionistic kids, um, best, you know, how we tell our kids very well-intentioned, hey, just do your best. I heard this a lot during the (laughs) pandemic especially when kids are on virtual school you know just do your best so we're basically thinking look we get it this is hard just show up put in some effort you know we have Mm -hmm. all the things we attach to do your best a perfectionistic kid here is perfect oh so best for them is perfect perfect is not possible and it paralyzes them huh so when a parent says do your best they're thinking well I can't, so I'm just not going to do it. That's so really a interesting, the Kid. Yeah, and they're procrastinating all the time and really putting stuff off and just getting things done under the wire. Um, that's likely what's going on. So they they really do become paralyzed by just the fear of not meeting the unreasonably high, and that's the key word unreasonably. I mean, we want our kids to have high expectations, but when they're unreasonably high, then they avoid they find ways not to have to not to start not be able to do it exactly huh it's really, really so
0: now i feel like i need to sit down and ask each of my kids like go out on a date with each of them or go for a walk right because i think the best conversations happen when we're side by side and not just staring each other down um, oh absolutely and to ask them what best means to them because it sounds like it could be a generational divide too in some ways,
1: yeah, quite possibly. Again, it's just a thing we say. Yeah, um, that sounds it sounds so good, and I'm sure teachers say it all the time too. But I, you know, like I said, it's just been made pretty evident to me in working with so many students that it's not landing the way we think it's landing. Yeah. For them.
0: Yeah, I'd really like to know now what my kids think of the word best and to hear what it it unpacks to them. Because when I hear it, there's lots of grace and wiggle room of just just Mm -hmm. trying. (laughs) Right. And that's
1: the grace is sort of the antidote to perfectionism. So self-compassion is the thing that undoes the harm of perfectionism. That ability to set reasonable high but reasonable um, expectations for yourself, and in the, the expectations, it's really interesting when we're talking about perfectionism. They come from the individual themselves. So the student themselves may just because I'll talk to parents who are like, "I don't, I don't care if they <laughs> get C's and B's. It's it's all them, you know, that's really worried about this." So that happens, but sometimes it is the parents yeah. who, who we don't do C's in this house, and if the kid has <laughs> grown up with that kind of you know mentality, yep. then. You know, that's very threatening. That's a, that's a big threshold sometimes. Um, And then society, then we get to the achievement culture, what are the expectations there. So it can come from all three of those places, or even just from like the individual themselves, even if it wasn't coming from these other places, they're doing it to themselves.
0: Wow. There's so much there. So now a parent has a couple more words to use with perfectionism to unpack. But what if there's some other habits, like like sleep, <laughs> that you know your kid's sleep patterns <laughs> aren't helping them <laughs> be the type of student they need to be? Now, sleep
1: is probably one of the biggest um, underlying issues. That was one of the things when the pandemic first hit. Mental health actually Improved um, in our adolescents and our tw- uh, you know tweens and teens because all of a sudden they were getting sleep. They were sleeping the amount of time they were supposed to be sleeping. So they should in during adolescence be sleeping eight or nine hours a night. And what I hear mostly from students is like five or six, and some are even at four. Um, so they're wow. they are definitely not getting enough sleep. And the the thing about sleeping, I'm sure you know this so well, is it's sort of that foundation to everything else. Mm -hmm. It it impacts your energy. It impacts your attention. Um, You know, it impacts your mood. It impacts your coordination. So if you're a student athlete or you're driving to school, those (laughs) things are impacted by the quality and quantity of sleep that you're getting, it impacts your health. Your immune system is compromised. This is why kids show up kind of just oozing <laughs> around times of like midterms yep. and finals. I just remember when I was teaching college, just being like, oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're all going to have a cold by. right now.
1: Yes, and that was all pre-COVID. Um, so I think there's a little bit of differences there now. But as far as just their you know their immune system being able to fight mm-hmm. things off. Um, you know acne is worse when we don't get enough sleep, skin conditions, things like that. So it's huge. It is huge. so i i I really take time with students to talk about sleep hygiene kinds of issues and talk to them about sleep. I think like a lot of people, grown-ups too, students tend to come to the table and say, well, it's a waste of time. I should be, I need to be more productive. So I'm staying up late and doing the work I put off or staying up late and getting on, you know, catching up with my friends because I didn't have a chance earlier. Mm -hmm. And, And the problem with that is, um, they don't realize what benefits they're getting from sleep. So that's when our brain actually gets it's cleaning for the day. So um, (laughs) the brain shrinks a little bit, cerebral spinal fluid comes up there, kind of washes all the garbage out. And so that's a good thing for the next day as far as being able to think clearly. But from a student perspective, I'm like, it's like study time because this is when you're learning and memory is consolidated that you experience during the day. So if you spent two hours studying, you get this extra, it's like steroids for your studying <laughs> when you go to when you sleep on it, and they have no idea about that. So, as I long as they sleep good, enough, right? Well, sleeping at all will be benef- more beneficial than like staying up all night, all night. cramming. So, okay. sleep in general, but the longer they sleep, the more benefit they get from um, all the things that happen during the stages of sleep over, you know, a period of eight plus hours. So, you know, and I do, I explain to them, I get into the nitty gritty about awesome. the t- stages and stuff, and they're they're fascinated by it because they have no idea. They just think they're, you know, lights out. Yeah, <laughs> that's I that's don't it. think
0: my, many adults actually know wh- how sleep helps either. Mm-hmm. To explain it to my well, kids, I'd be a little bit lost. I know it's important, but to know it all, I don't.
1: And when you get it, when you have adequate sleep and good quality sleep, you feel it. And I mean then it's kind of like oh i get it now but when you're when you're constantly in that kind of sleep debt mode i think you just feel like that's just the way i feel
0: how you write your book you've got chapters about how parents can stumble <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you've got ways to change and then at the end of the book there are 77 tips and what i love most about the tips one of your ideas is that like to pick a couple and some of the areas that would help your kid like time management or stress or study habits or sleep or mindset and to work one on one with your kid with it but or you could just pick one and model it and try it on for size two.
1: yeah that's our superpower actually
0: yeah i i spent all my years <laughs> as a kind of a young parent like what do i
1: need to do for my kids and you know how am i going to be a parent and i I didn't realize until they were much older how whatever I do personally for me has a much greater impact on as far as like sending a lesson to them and them modeling me. So it is our superpower to kind of live out loud is I think what I called it in the book Mm -hmm. where we're basically modeling what we want to see in our kids. So I I spent like sleep would be one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Screen use would be another. So if we tell our kids, you know, you can't be on your phone at the dinner table, or you need to. Yep. Um, you can't you can't use your phone while you're driving? And if we do those things ever, that really undermines any kind of like authority that we have in telling them to do. Because in their head, they're like. Again, their little statistician brain goes. You know, I've seen you do it. (laughs) Yep,
0: I'm sorting. I see that you don't walk the talk.
1: Yep, exactly. And that's really huge. And it's one of the places where I think when we talk about a student's mindset around school or just trying something Mm -hmm. hard, when they get in that place where they're avoiding challenge, they don't want help. They want to, you know, get out of effort. Um, they don't want feedback. When they're in that space, one of the best things we can do is model the opposite of that for them so that we step up and challenge ourselves. We make mistakes out loud. um, And, you know, we ask for help. We admit our vulnerabilities, all those kinds of things. And our kids can see that it's okay. Instead of the idea though, as parents, we kind of show up and we're, we're perfect. Yeah. And we're trying to convey that to our kids. And they think, well, that's the standard I have to meet. That's the expectation. Yep. My mom doesn't make mistakes. That's a tall order. Um, so yeah, I think I, that's definitely our, our superpower.
0: I love that. That's the parent superpower in your view. I can totally stand behind that we it's good to practice being human in front of our kids and to learn how to try out these skills because we're all growing and learning um forever hopefully right like my parents were visiting and my mom was explaining to one of my daughters something new she was learning and i was like i'm so glad that you're admitting that you still have something as a grandparent that is hard for you and that you're trying to fix
1: that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And our kids do notice. I mean, I remember my son, he's my oldest, so he's 25 now. But I remember he went out to college his freshman year, and he started texting me pictures of his, he had started using some sleep app that was measuring the yeah. amount of sleep and quality of sleep. And he was so proud to, like, send me these pictures. And I was like, why is he doing And it's like, oh, he's been watching me for the last several years trying to get my sleep, Going and me, I was talking about it all the time, and I'd be like, I'm a rock star on my Fitbit, or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and I wasn't. I wasn't lecturing or pushing my kids to do it, but I was just saying how important it was to me and how helpful it was and you know the benefits I was getting from it. And he was paying attention, even though he's probably rolling his eyes at me at the dinner table when I was talking about totally. it. Totally. He was paying attention. So
0: that really demonstrated to me, yeah, they are watching. That is really good. Out of all the habits in your book, out of the 77, which one was hardest for you to learn how to do? Which one did you need to model the most and to give yourself room to practice? Ooh, that's
1: a hard one. You can pause Um,
0: for a second and think.
1: I think for me, historically, it's it's that growth mindset piece where because I'm a I'm a former fixed mindset person. So I am I grew up as the kind of person who could get by mm-hmm. with my, you know, kind of natural ability, always kind of took the easy way, avoided the things when they got tough, mm-hmm. self-sabotaged. So that was totally me, probably until I was in my 40s. And then uh, on a, I read uh, Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. Oh, yeah. And that book talks so much about vulnerability. And it made so much – It just a light bulb went off. And so I didn't really know growth mindset mm-hmm. at the time. But it led me on that path of um, where, you know, for the last 15 years or so, I've been in this amazing space of being able to catch myself and fix my zet and keep really pushing the envelope of, I mean, writing a book for heaven's sake, starting a business (laughs) doing podcasts. I'm a huge introvert. This is not (laughs) the thing I'm built for. So growth mindset, growth mindset, yeah. growth mindset has put me, you know, even teaching college, that was a, you yeah, know, standing, it's like being a stand up, you know, in a bar with no alcohol. And <laughs> it sure is. It's, it's like not an introvert's you know, comfy place. So that was all a process of me kind of figuring out how, how I think about things really impacts what I can do and how I can be in the world. So that would, for me has probably been over the decades, the hardest.
0: And when you were learning it, when you find those roadblocks, do you pause and say it out loud, especially if your kids are around? Like how would a parent who is working on this, right? So I think just over the dinner table is
1: always an awesome thing or in the car. Um, I'm a weird whiteboard person. So I have a massive whiteboard in my kitchen where whatever I want, To be on that whiteboard is on the whiteboard. I think we're best friends. Um, We've got like three
0: (laughs) whiteboards in our kitchen, I think. And there's one in the studio here behind me too. Uh, They
1: give me joy. But but for me, I could put stuff on there. So a lot of times I would listen to podcasts or read a book and there'd be something just so like, oh, that's just profound. And boom, on the whiteboard it goes. So my kids, again, acted like, you know, roll your eyes, whatever. Mom's (laughs) writing on the whiteboard again. But man, they would memorize. And every once in a while... (laughs) <laughs> they would go up and scribble a little something on there too. So, you know. That's awesome. That's been sort of my thing.
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, I am so glad that you took the time and took the brave action to write the disintegrating student. Um, I oh, know it was a you. step out of your comfort zone, but not everyone is near you in the Atlanta area to get coaching. And your book feels like a good coaching session and reading it with the mindset of a nine-year-old who isn't reached any of these hurdles yet, um, it was really helpful to think how I could change things for him (laughs) and how to, like, come beside my daughters so that when they get reached these harder classes and the stresses feel so high, right? We're scheduling and they're talking about AP classes and my brain explodes a little bit about the stress that that's going to bring.
1: Right. So thank you. How do, how do you give back? Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, that's one of the reasons I wrote it was not everyone, you know, not everyone has access to someone who can help or can afford it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, I wanted to make it a lot more accessible. And I want all as, you know, parents to, and educators to start having this conversation about, are we okay with how the achievement culture is impacting all of us. And that's a bigger conversation. Mm -hmm. How do we all like, what are we going to do about this as we raise our kids? So I I hope it's a jumping off, um, place for that as well.
0: I, I think it is. And if anyone wants to continue the conversation and reads the book, please message us on Instagram. Um, Dr. Janot is on Instagram. She's pretty active there. And you can find me. All those links will be in the show notes, too. So don't forget that you can reach out to the people who write books. She's she's a friendly person.
1: I am. I'm super. I'm very introverted, but super friendly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how are you taking care of yourself? I'd love to end each episode with a self-care idea and a family fun idea. Well, I'm I'm a.
1: A huge walker as far as like walking my dog. I love to be outside, but I mean I think that's a pretty common self care thing that you know getting out walking. But one thing that really is important to me is sun. Um, I I'm one of those people that you know being in sunshine. You know if I you know if I move my chair or if I go sit outside, especially early in the day, it, it's it's like I've been plugged in. Um, It just energizes me. I feel more at peace. I feel more centered. And it actually getting early morning bright light or sunshine is really important to help get our circadian rhythm, that sleep-wake cycle, um, in rhythm again. So that's one of the best things I tell students, you know, you're all messed up. But (laughs) one of the best things you can do every morning is get exposed to bright light. So if that means, you know, buying one of those... Um, you know, sunlight. Yeah, um, which I've I've got going right now. Or if it means you know, if it's the right time of year, maybe you can actually just open your blinds in your room and get some light. So that's that for me. It, it my mood is impacted positively. My energy is impacted positively. Um, it's so simple
0: outlook. to seek out the sun.
1: It's. I mean, and our brains have been wanting that since our brains have been brains so since we've been cavemen. That's how our brain still works when it comes to the sun.
0: That's good. I'm. I'm glad you can remind us that because our days go by so fast, and something like the sunlight makes such a big difference. But it does. But sometimes we think we're too busy to take care of ourselves in such a simple way. Well, thank you. And the next idea, the family fun idea. I think I know where you're going to say, and I'm so excited to have you share this. (laughs) So this was something
1: i put in in the book. Um, It's called Purple Plate. And this was something I started when my oldest was, I think he was four or five. So it's a couple decades ago. And it I bought a purple plate. I think it Kohl's. And we rotated who had the purple plate at dinner each night. So family dinner was always a big thing for us whenever we possibly could. And if you had the purple plate, that meant everybody else in the family, we went around just at the beginning, kind of like a ritual. If you say grace before dinner, Mm -hmm. our ritual was to say something we either admired or appreciate about the person who had the purple plate. Um, That's so simple. It was very simple, but our kids came to even today if we come home if they're all here um and we have dinner together it's like this purple plate you know we Aww. have to like pick up from so it's it's been really an amazing thing because it's harder than it may sound because you're not always like in love with the person you totally to <laughs> like if you're, you know my kids have just been arguing with each other if my husband just and i just had a tense moment or something that would go i appreciate uh-huh <laughs> But it does remind us um, about the importance of that relationship and that there's always something good to admire. And would it just rotate between
0: the five of you, like one after mm-hmm. another in a pattern? Yep. Yes, indeed. And they kept track, boy, which is how I always <laughs> knew it was important to them. For sure. That makes total sense. Well, I feel like I need to go get a purple plate now, just to. Uh, <laughs>
1: they added in there but it could be it could be anything that totally. they could move i do like the idea that it's something tangible
0: though i i like visual cues for things it mm-hmm. makes it so much easier and then when that kid sets the table cuz i've given them that responsibility yeah. that they can do
1: into with 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 what's going on today one twist to that that you could consider doing too would be having family bloopers oh where because we're trying to normalize making mistakes mm-hmm. that are, you know, it's not the end of the world. So everybody could take turns saying something that, you know, they messed up or a mistake they made um, and, and, and normalize it in your family. You know, we're not trying to hide our mistakes and protect ourselves. We're actually going to put them out there and we can talk about them. We can laugh about them. Um, I just think if, if I had something to start now with my kids, yeah. I would do that.
0: I appreciate that. We sit around and watch America's Funniest Videos, which feels like watching other people's bloopers, <laughs> yeah. um, but we don't always necessarily pause and and own up to ours and make it normal to make mistakes. That could be
1: something you could add to that ritual of watching the show together.
0: Yeah, that you would be all, a super easy share, one. Like,
1: yeah, because it's a natural transition mm-hmm. and it's been kind of, it's like, oh, they're making mistakes. What have we done? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that That, and, and you're already like in that good mood too because you've been laughing and watching people fall right. <laughs> yes, exactly well thank you so much where do you want people to find you I've mentioned Instagram but where where should they look for you on the internet probably the
1: easiest thing is to go to my website which is janinejano.com and all my social media links are there the book is there my coaching's there speaking
0: pretty much everything excellent well thank you so much and everything is in the show notes so you didn't have to take notes and i am just so glad you're here thanks for being exactly the right mom for your kids and thank you for writing this book for us oh thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed the conversation i hope you enjoyed this march madness episode about (laughs) disintegrating students and student achievement just know you're not alone motherhood is way too important to do alone and way too important to be serious all the time so join me and my family and watch some AFE, eat some popcorn and talk about your fails you are exactly the right mom for your kids and i am forever grateful that you're here